working our way through Nehemiah. This is our last week discussing chapters 1 through 3, which is basically one of the uh, key components in how they were able to rebuild the wall and reform the people. Why don't we take a few moments and just review briefly? Shall we do that? When we, we titled this series, How to Get Things Done and Get Along To, and here's what we mean by that. We mean that they rebuilt the wall, and in how many days did they do that? Someone give me a Bible fact here. How many days? That is awesome. You guys were shouting that together. That's great. There was a couple weeks there we weren't sure. and That means we're learning. Amen. We want to attack biblical illiteracy, and that's one of the ways we do it, is to learn concrete facts about God's Word. Fifty-two days. They not only rebuilt the wall, but they reformed the people. And those two bullet points sum up for us what it means to get things done and get along. And we've made this very clear, and we'll say it again, that we want to make sure that we not only accomplish a great work for God, but that we do it in a way that represents the God of love that we serve. That is our goal, and and, uh, we are very committed to reaching out to a world in the spirit of love. Amen? We want to encourage you and all of our church to continue that. We want to get something done, but of course in the right way. Here's how they did that. Three main things. And I want to just ask you if you can tell me the first one. What's the first way? So, Ashley, we're going to hold off on pulling these up until we see how well they do. They're one for one so far. What's the first component... Chapters, Nancy's going home. No, I don't think I know. The first component to getting things done and getting along, it was what? Strong. You did know it. That's great. I thought I had to know that word. That's good. Leadership. God brings leaders and anoints people to take risks. People rally around that, and then a work for God is accomplished. The second component. We haven't got here yet, so I'm seeing how well you may have taken notes previously. Anyone at all. The second component to getting things done, a bold approach to opposition. I was about to say, Beth, your voice really changed there. <laughs> Beth was mouthing the words and this low voice speaks up over here. <laughs> Handling opposition. We're going to begin next week talking about that. And the title next week, we're going to talk about I'm not coming down and I'm not going back. And I can't wait. I told you last night, I said, uh, uh, about next week, I said, now I think I'm going to be soapboxing for about 30 minutes. So I can't wait till next week. It's a good sign, by the way. They didn't seem to like that too much, did they? I guess not. Next week, we're going to begin talking about chapters 4 through 6, all about opposition. The last component to getting things done and getting along is what? A return to scriptural authority. In other words, God said it, that settles it. We don't even have to believe it. That's right. See, I've heard people say, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. No. God said it, that settles it. And you'll find in chapter 7 through 13 that Nehemiah and Ezra and many of the scribes and prophets began to bring the people back to what God says, what God said in His Word. That will be our toughest time, by the way. So prepare. I won't apologize. I won't back off. But that will be difficult preaching and difficult listening. We're in a society much like that. We are away from... We are away from scriptural boundaries and scriptural delineations in so many areas. And one of our jobs as a light in West Des Moines is to bring people back to the Word of God. Well, we're going to close out chapters 1 through 3 today. 
We said, first of all, that leaders are people... Let me review for you the last few weeks. First of all, they're people who focus on God's faithfulness, not their failures. Isn't that good to know? And what a week that was. People left here knowing that in spite of my past and the mistake that I made, God's grace is greater. And He'll forgive me and He'll set me on the right path. Leaders are people who pray humbly to God before they speak boldly to man. Leaders are people who emerge because of an inward compelling passion, not because of external pressure. That was a great week, too. I, I, I remember some of, one of our focus group facilitators, in fact, I think one of our youth facilitators came and said, man, we just took the whole focus group hour and just talked about what God was doing inside of us. And many of you, as a result of that week and some things here in the lobby today, are, are praying and considering, what would God want you to do? Not because we've got a slot to fill or, man, Sherry's putting a pressure on me for the nursery. No, because God is working in your heart. Amen? That's where it starts, and that's where we want to keep it. Leaders are people who restore God's name in places it's broken down. Bob taught us last week that no matter where we work, it's not about necessarily the dollar or about the power position or about the authority. It's about restoring God's name in places it's broken down, just like Nehemiah did. And this week, a leader is a person based approach to difficult situations. I'm going to walk you through chapters 2 and 3 and show you six action-based approaches that Nehemiah took. Now, I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. But let me preface it by saying this. Nehemiah would not fit in well in most churches. You know why? Because he didn't like meetings. <laughs> he said, listen, I mean, how many times have we got to meet about this thing? Let's get moving. Nehemiah had an action-based approach to solving difficult situations. His mindset was not about, let's talk about it some more. Let's put together a committee that will form a committee who will then analyze the committee's result from last year to see if we should put together a subcommittee to talk about what we should do. I mean, I think he looked at the city of Jerusalem, he saw the walls, and he said, you know, I think somebody ought to do something. And he, so he took an action-based approach. In fact, I'm going to walk you through two chapters and show you how that in every situation, his meeting lifestyle was very minimal and his active lifestyle was maximized. I want to say to all of us here, that's a great model to take. Now, granted, there are times you have to have meetings, but I have found that typically... The more meetings you have, the more life you take out of something. Really, I believe that. You know what? A meeting should spark action, and then action breathes life into organizations. It breathes life into ideas, because it's people moving with God's Spirit. But the longer we meet, the less action there is. Life is in the action. Life is in the actions that carry out God's plan that perhaps came about at the meeting. But often, you know, you can meet forever. I don't want to sit inside the, the train and talk about how to start it up. Who's going to blow the whistle? Who's going to make sure that the which track we go on? I kind of want to be part of the group that says, can we ride the train that's moving? I want to get the train moving. You know, it takes a lot to start a train. 
But once you get a train going, it takes a lot to stop. And I want to say to this church here, as your pastor, as your co-pastor, once this train gets moving, whatever we do, let's don't stop it with a meeting mentality. It takes a lot to get it back started again. Let's keep the train rolling by moving and acting in the Spirit of God. What did he do? What six things did he do? Let me walk you through these pretty quickly, will you? Chapter 2, follow with me. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. You'll have a handout there, of course, today. You'll be able to write these in very briefly. Uh, They'll be shown behind us. You'll have no problem with to write down. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Look with me again. The king said to me, what would you request? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. Isn't that an interesting response? Well, we've kind of mentioned this earlier. But he prayed and talked at the same time. Do you notice that? You can do two things at one time. Nehemiah understood the principle of what I call prioritization. He did it in chapter 1. He did it in chapter 2. And that is, when, you, when you're faced with a decision, your first action should be, let's see what God says about this. Seek God's perspective first. I didn't say just seek His perspective. Seek it first. Okay, I'll give you a candid illustration. And I'll use me and Bob and Colleen. A week and a half ago, we came back from a... Uh, we hosted a number of youth leaders for a luncheon. We came back and we were just really excited about that talk. And then we had a situation come up spontaneously to deal with. And to be honest with you, we had a little bit of different opinions about how to handle it. We were in a, in a very professional way talking about why we felt what we felt. And we were all three in the office talking. And, and then it hit us. These are just our ideas. It was a Friday, wasn't it? What would God want us to do? And so we agreed right there. I'll tell you what let's do. Nothing's going to happen until Sunday anyway. Let's pray about it till Sunday. And get what God's perspective is. The next week, Bob and I touch base again. You know what? I'm confident. You did the right thing, and that together we moved in the right direction. And you know what? I think what Bob did as a result of that was probably not what I really suggested. Maybe not what you suggested totally. Maybe not what you suggested. It was more kind of a hybrid. Maybe God brought our hearts together and said, here's what I want you to do. That is not your first reaction. You will not automatically say, well, let's pray about it. Because you feel like nothing's being accomplished. But when you get on the same page with the Almighty Creator... A lot is being accomplished. The first action to take is to verbally and very intentionally say, I'm going to find out what God says about it. As a leader, I'm going to seek God's perspective first. Second principle. The principle of simplification. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. I love this verse. The king said, what do you want? I prayed in verse 5. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, Send me to Judas, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. You know, all of chapter 1, you understand in Nehemiah's heart this huge big goal, don't you? But when it came time to verbally request his desire to the king, did he make it real hard to understand? He said, send me back home so I can rebuild the city. I'm going to tell you something. Leaders have a unique way. God's anointed leaders have a unique way of taking big ideas and making them edible. Just a bite at a time. If you say, well, I'm not sure how to do that, and you're a leader here, you need to learn. We'll teach you how to do that, hopefully. 
Because that's very motivating. That big visions can be cast in ways that people can eat them one bite at a time. Friday night, we took my family, we took our family to uh, Ohana Steakhouse. They, they rolled this big old card out there. It's filled with stuff. And I'm sure my kids were watching this guy with 14 utensils, all of you know, like a chainsaw and a, and a spinning blade, you know, and he's going to chop all this stuff up in front of us, you know. It looks like impossible. How do you eat all that? That's a whole bowl full of raw meat. Who's going to eat all that? But as they cook it and chop it and divide it, you look at the cart afterwards. We ate all that food, <laughs> you know. And I sat there and watched those chefs divide all that food up. And it was all gone. I thought, you know, that's what we ought to be doing with the strong visions God, given, as God has given Grace West. It's just little by little. Let's chop it up and let you eat your part, bite at a time. You know, we have a goal here that we want to see 14 or so families, new families come to this church this year. And I'm going to be real transparent with you. You know why we have that goal. This year we were given a grant to support my salary to be on here as a full-time co-pastor. Starting in 2003, we want to be fully able to handle that load. And I want to say to you, praise the name of Christ, you have been doing that, by the way. Did you know that what you see in your bulletin every week about the giving here does not reflect the grant we were given? That, that ought to totally excite you. It doesn't reflect the grant. It doesn't reflect the fact that, uh, of course, our organization pays half a coaling salary. It doesn't reflect that. What you see, when you see that you are meeting the weekly budget, it's actually what, you, what we are giving. That's awesome, people. I thought we might get there about December. But like one of the elders said this week, i got a lack of faith sometimes, you know. You guys are already there. What God could do now in the remaining ten months. We want to see more people added. That means we've got to all invite. So how does that happen? Fourteen families. I don't even know how to get that many. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. All you've got to do, all I've got to do, is just invite and witness to maybe one person this year. Really? I mean, I know this sounds, you've heard this before, and a lot of you are churched, so you know the strategy. But it is true, and that's why it's repeated so much. If everybody here would just reach one person, there'd be a lot more than 14 families here on the sound of the gospel, wouldn't there? But typically, about 20% of our people do 80% of the work. I'm saying that God can do a great thing here if we, simply, if we simplify the huge vision. One of the ways to do that is just to just invite people. Just witness everywhere you go. Number three, principle of preparation. Now, Nehemiah did give a simple answer in verse 5. But he had a back pocket full of plans. Look at verses 7 through 9. Verse 6 actually says, the king says, well, how long will it be and when will you get back? And verse 7 says, if it pleases the king... Let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river. He had to make some passage through maybe treacherous territory. He said, can you give me a, a visa? I need to get straight home. He says, verse 8, I need a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. He may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple. He said, we won't have enough wood, and if you'll, if you'll say so, he'll give us the wood we need. Can you do that? I need a visa. I need unlimited lumber. 
He says, and the king said to me, because the good hand of my God was on me, he said, you've got it. I believe in walking in the Spirit. But I don't believe in walking in the Spirit spontaneously and then reflecting bad on God. That means that from our human side of things, we prepare, we work, and we do our part. And then as God leads, we move where He directs. Because when He opens the door, you don't want to be sitting back saying, Oh, I'm not ready to go through that door. If you'll prepare ahead of time, then when God opens the door, boom, walk through, you're ready to go. You may not have all the plans laid out. You may not know exactly what God's doing, but you will have general ideas and prepare. That's what leaders do. They get ready. We were in Atlanta a couple weeks ago, and I was preaching down south, and Brad was with me, and he was giving his testimony to some youth groups. And um, we went to eat with some people there one evening, and this girl walked up that I had known. I told you this before, that I knew. And you know, she, she was a youth leader at church. I had no idea she was going to be there. But I was prepared to talk about what we did. And I just happened to have a whole briefcase full of samples. And as she began to talk, and I talked, I was able to give her a, a good bit of material. You know what? I thought about that as I began to review this passage, this principle. What if I just said, oh, well, you know, I, I'm not really not sure how we can help you. And, I mean, let me get back to you. That probably wouldn't have happened. If you lead an area of this church, if God's put something in your heart, prepare so when God opens the door, you can walk right through it. Fourth principle. We're moving through these pretty quickly here. Fourth principle. The principle of examination. Verse 11 of chapter 2. Nehemiah gets to the Jerusalem. And perhaps my favorite, one of my favorite actions he takes here. Verse 12. I arose in the night. I and a few men with me. I didn't tell anybody what God was putting in my mind to do. He went out by the valley gate. He rode around the fountain gate, verse 14 says. He went through the ravine, he inspected the wall. Verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I as yet told the Jews. And then he comes to verse 17. We'll get to that in a minute. Before he ever did anything, Nehemiah examined the current situation. And my mom used to say to me all the time this, and it's true, and you've heard it, but you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? We would all do well to listen Twice as much, if not more, than we talk. When I was in Atlanta, um, there was a point in time in which we had some tense disagreement among the leadership about some issues. And I first heard about it at a staff meeting. So I've got, I got the staff perspective. And uh, I just listened. But I'm not going to lie to you. I was definitely leaning in that way. I was like, well, man, if that really happened, well, we need to... At about 3 o'clock that day, I got the other side of the story. And my perspective was not as... Uh, I was not as quick to lean toward the staff side. I was much more inclined to say, oh, well, they didn't tell me that. <laughs> I wasn't aware of all that. And I want to be real honest with you. That one situation, it lasted a while. It was, it was not exactly easy. 
taught me something. And I rely on this a lot. And you know this. There's always two sides of a story. But I emphasize the word always. There are always two sides to every story. And when you're called upon as a leader to take action, your best bet before you open your mouth and give an opinion is to hear Even if you think you know everything that happened, it won't hurt you to listen one more time. Hey, dads, you think you know the situation up at home and you're like, well, let me just deal with this. And you go to deal with it and you're sure you know everything that happened. But your son or daughter wants to say, well, dad, let me just. You ought to listen. Because if you're right, listening won't hurt your case at all. But if you're wrong. And you find out for the fact there's a lot of words that will not be fun to eat. It won't hurt you to listen. Before we have, before uh, answer men walk in and all these gurus with all their ideas of how to make everything better, I'd sometimes like for someone just to say, you know, well, can you just tell me what's going on? Just listen. I think a lot of listening happened here. After a number of the transitions and we were down to pretty much the core people. We begin to do a lot of listening. I think Bob developed a leadership team that met on Saturdays for a number of weeks or months. Did a lot of listening. What was God really doing in this church? We do a lot of listening about once a quarter, especially uh, not only at charge, but we had our uh, focus group time out there one week, all of us together. And one of our elders said to me, man, we ought to do that again because folks just had a chance to share their hearts and talk. It is good to examine situations before you go expressing opinions. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm not old and I'm not wise and I've not got a lot of experience. But I will tell you, at 37 years old, I'll tell you this much. You will not naturally want to keep your mouth closed. I don't. Don't laugh at that. Good night. Like you agree. But I don't. I like to preach. I like to talk. And I like to give my opinion. And it, is, it takes an act of God when someone's going up and say, well, here's what I think you ought to do. And I just want to jump in. And I'll tell you something. God's Spirit says to me probably at least every day, close your mouth and listen. There are more things here than you're aware of. Maybe I like that because that's maybe where I struggle so much. I don't know. But I want to say to all of our dads and our moms, our ministry leaders, listen. Examine the conditions, and then give your feedback. Fifth principle, action-based principle. The principle of identification. Look at verse 17. He examines the situation, and in verse 17 he says, I said to them, you see the bad situation, what's the next word? We are in. Come, let us rebuild the wall. I simply want to say here, folks, that an action-based leader shows himself part of the whole with a W, not apart from the whole with an H. Larry Hickson's a builder. I can imagine what if Larry showed up at his job sites. And Larry wasn't embracing the job site. 
Larry didn't fully put his arms around his, his crew or his, or his labor, however he contracts it out. He said, you know what? Leave me alone. I've got a business to run. There's a hole in the ground over there. A house should go there, but leave me alone. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't show himself apart from the hole. He shows himself part of the hole. And that's how he gets things done. I'm going to tell you something. Identifying with problems doesn't make you a bad person or a problem yourself. It shows you love enough to lend a helping hand. For a number of months here, I told all of you, especially those who are visiting and checking us out, we're a new church. And I'd say, you know what? You can point, you can say, well, you're not this, you're not that, or you can pick up a shovel and help us. And I repeat that. Yeah, you know what? We're a year and a half older, so I'm not sure exactly. And there's a lot of things probably you change and I change too. But the, I think the turning point for this body of believers, and I've never expressed this yet, I think the turning point was when we gladly embraced our situation and said God will work in spite of everything or anything. God is going to work here. This is who we are. Yeah, we've got a building here that's pretty expensive. But that's who we are. Yeah, we, we had a number of folks who aren't here, but that's who we are. Yeah, we're, we're brand new. In other words, we did not try to run or hide. We embraced. We identified with you and you with us. I want to say something. I think God will honor that. And a lot of you did that. I was surprised at the number of folks that God began to bring to our church when we quit apologizing for what God was doing here. Amen? And God began to bring people and say, Man, if you're looking for somebody to get on ground zero, I got a big shovel. Someone said, I got a backhoe. Someone says, hey, man, I do. And suddenly God began to bring people to build his army. We've got folks in this church who are former missionaries. We've got uh, people who own businesses. We've got people who know how to run operations. We've got people who work with systems and architecture. We've got all kinds of people in this church, single parents, people with, with families who, who can contribute to saying, you know what? We can make this church a great church. They embraced Grace West. For that reason, I'm proud to be your pastor. I'm not ashamed at all of what God has done and is doing in this place. And will always speak boldly. I think that's one of the things that really turned us around and got us around the corner. Now, we've got a long way to go. But I, I really believe, I told a pastor this week, he said, how are you doing? I said, I think we've stabilized. I didn't say maintained. But there were weeks, maybe, we weren't sure who was doing what. But I think... Thank the Lord for the people who committed to stable leadership. I think we stabilized. The train is beginning to inch out of the station. And I'm not going to have a bunch of meetings to stop it. We're going to get the train rolling and we're going to keep chugging down the tracks. Gladly and in the spirit of humility, but in a proud way because of what God's done, this is who we are and we're going to move forward for God. We have embraced who we are. Nehemiah did that, didn't he? He didn't point fingers and say, hey... Look at this wall. You should have done this. He said, you see what we are in, let us build. Last principle here. The principle of cooperation. All of chapter 3, in fact, talks about this principle. Look with me. Can I have you uh, circle a few words in chapter 3? I'm going to move quickly here. Chapter 3, verse 1, the sheep gate. Chapter 3, verse 3, the fish gate. Chapter 3, verse 6, the old gate. Verse 8, they rebuilt the broad wall. Verse 11, the tower of furnaces. 
Look at verse 13, the valley gate. Yes, that was probably in West Jerusalem. Uh, verse uh, 14, the dung gate or the garbage gate. Man, what if you were the tribe that had to rebuild that gate? I mean, can you imagine getting that allotment? And you don't want to miss your charge meetings next week if you work in our church because you may get the... Never mind. Okay, uh, verse 15, the fountain gate. Look on with me. Uh, verse 28, the horse gate. Look at verse 26, the water gate. That was the Republicans handled that area probably. Hey, listen, all of these gates and all of these fountains, all of these towers. You say, well, did Nehemiah go from gate to gate and say, okay, I'll rebuild this gate? No. If you read the whole chapter, the whole wall, even the towers, the furnaces, it's delegated to all the people. Everyone cooperated. That's an action that Nehemiah took. Every one of these principles has an action with it. Nehemiah was not a meeting lifestyle leader. He said, let's get to work. And he actively did six things. He sought God's perspective first. He spoke with words that make big dreams edible. He got ready for the open door and had plans. He used his uh, eyes and ears first, his mouth last. He showed himself part of the whole, not apart from the whole. And then he utilized the abilities of others for the benefit of all. You look at these six principles. Let me tell you who did every one of them. As we close, every one of them, every one of these principles, Jesus Christ. Watch this. Watch it with me. That's why he's the number one uh, first class leader there is. Watch this. He prioritized what would happen. Before the foundation of the world, God saw to it that our redemption was in place, that his son would come as a baby and redeem the wicked and lost soul of mankind. Amen? So Christ set aside his rights and came to earth as a baby, lived as a man, and died. Why? Because God's perspective was, we need to redeem lost mankind. He gave up the right to be God. Did he prepare? You bet he did. Thirty years. He prepared. He was under his parents' authority. At age 30, he began a ministry for three years. And then at 33, he died a terrible death. Now, in most church circles, that had been considered a failure of a ministry. He didn't go into his 30, and he quit at 33. <laughs> What's going on? He was ready. He spent all that time preparing, lived a sinless life. So when the sacrifice time came, he was ready to pay the price. Did he examine conditions? You bet he did. In fact, do this sometime in the week. Throughout his earthly ministry, find out how many times when someone asked him a question... He gave his opinion, or did he ask another question? You'll find that the majority of the time, Christ asked a question in response to a question. You know why? He wanted to get more information, and he didn't need it. He was the Almighty God, omniscient. He knew everything. Did he identify with us? Well, of course he did. He became a man. He was so much of a man that most of the race missed him. You realize that, don't you? He came into his own, but his own didn't receive him. That's why I believe if Christ were to come today as one of us, you would know it when he walked in. He would look so much like the average West Des Moines. Based on his life on this earth, he was just a regular Jew. That you probably would have a hard time recognizing him. 
Would you miss Jesus if he walked in? Would you know Jesus if he walked in? Cooperation. There's no doubt. Yes, there's no doubt. He has us to cooperate. He left with us the responsibility to build the church, didn't he? How did he do that? He gives gifts to people. He didn't leave some, uh, forgive me, he didn't leave some mighty pope to make sure everything is done. He left every believer with specific gifts. If you'll cooperate, the work will be accomplished. Do you see why we like to follow Jesus? Do you see why I love Christ? And do you see why we worship God? Because at the heart of leadership, at the heart of knowing how to live an action-based lifestyle, is the greatest example of all, the God-man Jesus. And that's who we follow, and that's who we serve. If you're here this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, so this is why you all get together. Because of a man named Jesus, you're exactly right. He had an action-based approach to our difficult situation, didn't he? He identified with us and redeemed us. And so our approach now in this world is an action-based approach. We see God's perspective. We listen. We look. We identify. We cooperate. That's the kind of leaders God's looking for. It's the kind of people God's looking for. That's the way you and I live starting today. Now, what should you do about it? Bottom of your sheet as we close. I won't fill all these in because I left them blank for you. I want you to fill them in. There are six blanks there, and you can write in the principle that God is dealing with you on first. I mean, you may not take them in the same order. I don't know. God may be dealing with you somewhere else. Maybe as a dad, God's telling you to maybe close up your mouth for a little while and listen a little more. Maybe as a business owner, God's saying, hey, identify with your people more. When my dad took the job at Tennessee Temple, uh, they were on the brink of closing the doors as, as a Christian college. And he called me. We talked about it. And um, I don't know why he called me. I guess just to... I don't know why. I always, always wanted that. My dad called me. I don't know diddly, you know. And here he is calling me, but maybe just to talk. But I told him what I thought. We talked about it. And his first meeting with all of his staff, he took the job. And his first meeting, he said, okay, we're all going to make the same thing. Pretty, pretty close, I guess. He didn't take the typical presidential salary. And I tell you, I, was, I went to school there. The presidents made good money. Now, the teachers didn't make diddly squat. I'll be honest with you. Christian colleges, man, and you don't know how to make any money. But presidents made pretty good money. He deferred all that. He said, I'm going to identify with who you are and where you are. And he did for 20 years. He was a teacher there. And to this day, the respect he has at that school is because of one thing. When he could have jumped ship and said, okay, I'm in this elite, he said, no, we're going to get through this together. The school's still around, doing better. I've got some more years to go, he said, but they're doing, you know why? I think it's because of that identification principle. He's stuck with those people. Now, I don't know what principle God's working in your life first time, but you put that as number one. Because of I want to lead according to the principle of so-and-so, I will, and then put the action down. What will you do this week? If it's an examination, put down, I will listen to my children when they have a question. Or when they actually disagree, I'll listen. I may not change my mind. I may actually say, you know what, I may prove them that's not true, but I will listen to them. Perhaps God's dealing with you about another principle. Maybe it's simplification. Maybe you're just a big talker. 
But no one really knows what it is you really want to do. Maybe God's going to make you get all that down to simple words. I don't know where God's moving in your life, but I will tell you this. Based on these principles, there's an action for you to take. Which action is it? Write it in there, and then this week, you do that action. Because that's the kind of leaders we need, and that's the kind of leaders God really knows.